Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive if you're allowed to drive with the Game Changers, and this is where the best are running and driving. I have an opening buzz quote from the Dorn Group, D-O-R-N-G-R-O-U-P.com. Listen up. This will set the stage for what we're talking about today, and this is a very important show. So here's the quote. A shift toward customer centricity seems like a no-brainer listen up, where the vast majority of manufacturers struggle is understanding what a customer-centric strategy means. To simplify the primary objective of moving to a customer-centric-based strategy, manufacturers, listen up, this is very important, manufacturers need to develop products, content, how-to videos, packaging, and systems designed specifically for the end users of their products. That may be an interesting statement most of you never thought of. And they ultimately need to create a direct relationship with them independent of where they ultimately decide to purchase. This could be revolutionary. It could be evolutionary. It may be breaking news. Now, addressing manufacturers in our audience, you will need to navigate this transition carefully why you don't want to alienate your distributor network and you need to make sure your organization is structurally ready to support an increase in B2C engagement. This may never have been on your radar before. This could be very, very challenging to you. And our panelists are going to talk about that. So let me just add a few more comments before I introduce my special guest. Manufacturers increasingly, yes, need to focus on the end user and their experience if they are to grow their business, especially now as we come into the reopening phase, hopefully post-COVID-19. Caring about the needs of customers has become even more important in this era. As the recovery begins, manufacturers need to discover customer intention, and I'm going to say, but how, and predict demand accurately, and that could be even more of a, but how. How to meet this daunting challenge? Well, one way is to form strategic partnerships to make this mission a reality. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. We are recording this show on Zoom. We are coming to you live from different parts of the world. I have two experts on the show with me on the panel. I'm going to just say their names and their companies, and then I will ask them to introduce themselves. First up, we're hearing from Ryan Martin at ABI Research, and we're also hearing from Gustavo Milan at SAP. So join us for today's topic, customer-centric manufacturing, making it a reality for manufacturers and for customers. How about that? So welcome to my panelist, Ryan Martin. You're up first. Please tell everybody, just in case they don't know who you are. I'm sure they do. But just in case... Tell us a little bit about what you do, what ABI Research does, and what's your overview of this topic. Ryan, welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Gustavo. Wow. <laughs> it really gets my heart pumping. Uh, this is Ryan Martin speaking. I'm a principal analyst at ABI Research. I lead our manufacturing and industrial practice. Um, I've been doing I've been at, at ABI for about five years, but so been doing the analyst thing for about 10, always covering what we now call transformative tech, uh, largely though new and emerging technologies. Um, so eight years ago, these were things like connected cars, wearable devices, augmented reality. Uh, it's 
carried me through analytics. Today, we're talking a lot about 5G and, of course, industrial, everything being connected. Um, originally, when I started covering what we now call IoT or industrial IoT, it was M2M, machine to machine. So what I want to talk about here is how this market has evolved and, more importantly, what the difference is between disruptive and transform transformative tech, which is what we focus on here at ABI Research. Uh, we cover a lot of technologies. We've been doing it for a long time, been in the market over 30 years, um, entirely privately held. It gives us a lot of autonomy in creating our research agenda. So we like to be early and actionable. And, I like, and I'm looking forward to talking about some of these things in, our, in the course of our time together. Thank you very much, Ryan. Before I introduce Gustavo, let me ask you, Ryan, is this something, as I mentioned, is it evolutionary or revolutionary that a manufacturer should say, gee, what are my end customers thinking about? Well, maybe they'll buy me at a big box store when they reopen. Maybe they'll buy me at a boutique. Maybe they'll buy my products online. I should think about what they care about and what the products look like and telling them how to use them. Is this something that's a new concept? Or are we? Is this breaking news is what I'm asking you? Oh, it's been a long time coming. I think it's just been a long time, though, for us to be able to actually realize or the manifestation of these ideas. Um, at least in my world, we talk about smart manufacturing. And I think we need to take a big step back and really define that um, because it turns out manufacturing over the last 20 years has been not really that smart. Supply chain has been smart. So what we figured out in terms of connecting all these different assets is how to get goods to the customer, not necessarily how to produce them most efficiently. And what's changing now, especially in the wake of COVID-19, is a greater interest and also need, I think it's actually going to be critical, to produce products closer to where they're sold, used, and consumed. Um, over the last 10 years, we've seen that actually go the other direction to take mm -hmm. advantage of economies of scale and outsourcing. Right now, we're going to see that value chain reverse. Thank you very much. Good overview, Gustavo Milan. So happy to have you here. And please introduce yourself to our listening audience. Go ahead, Gustavo. Thank you, Bonnie, and, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, I am Gustavo Milanamas, an industry solution advisor for industrial machinery and components at SAP. And what I do is I work very close with our customers uh, around the world, and I help them kind of leverage technology to achieve you know, their, their business goals, basically. And part of my role is uh, defining solutions that are based on the portfolio and on the solutions that SAP has and also help customers conceptualize and drive the awareness of the industry trends internally with our field and externally with our customers. I also help drive co-innovation uh, because I work very close with the customers. Uh, we kind of understand, you know, where are their challenges, where they need help. So I, I kind of drive that innovation internally with the, with the SAP and, of course, collaborate with the sales teams. Um, and again, I'm very happy. I'm very thrilled to be here today to talk about the challenges and all the opportunities that I see in the manufacturing industry right now. I think that um, specifically when we talk about manufacturers and, and the focus that they have to have on user experience is definitely critical. And I think that I couldn't think of a, of a, of a more crucial time you know, to share some thoughts in regards to that. You know, uh, now, especially from the, from the customer experience standpoint, now that we're kind of going uh, in the next phase of, of this recovery or of this uh, pandemic. 
Thank you, Gustavo. I'm going to yeah. ask you a similar question to what I asked Ryan Martin a moment ago. Is this evolutionary or revolutionary? Is this breaking news? If a manufacturer anywhere in the world tunes into the show, and we hope they're all listening, of course, and they're going to say, what? I have to be customer-centric? The end customer? Are you serious? I have enough on my plate with supply chain issues and, and manufacturing and sourcing issues and criticism of labor and, and tariffs and trade wars. Now I have to make sure that I'm doing the right videos and I'm putting my stuff in the right place and I'm worried about what Bob Smith in Nebraska, Bob, I'm sorry to use your name, Bob Smith in Nebraska thinks about my widget. So Gustavo, is this going to be breaking news or is this something they're saying, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with Ryan in every aspect. I think we have seen this trend uh, for a while and I think that what we have definitely seen lately is that the, the, this shift has accelerated as a result of, of, the, of the pandemic. Uh, definitely uh, manufacturers have come to realize that in these days, their customers are just one click away from switching to another provider mm -hmm. because all these products have become so commoditized that what customers are looking for is outcomes, solutions. They, I mean, everything is very similar. So that has kind of driven that uh, need for uh, manufacturing companies to implement, you know, uh, a more or a closer relationship with the customers, understanding what their really needs are, uh, realizing what's the value of their products so that they can uh, address those needs uh, on their customer base. So nothing new. I just think that uh, this uh, situation has just accelerated the, the need for them to uh, become more omnichannel and more customer aware. Thank you very much. I just want to tell our listeners, if you're just tuning in, you're late. But just in case you're tuning in and wondering what in the world is on the business channel, this is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. We're in 2020 today. We're live on June what? June 9th, 2020. Where is the year going? I wish it would go faster. Episode number five. And in case you're saying, wait, mobility and manufacturing. Yes, this used to be called the future of cars with game changers, and we broadened the scope. Our topic today, very important, customer-centric manufacturing, making it a reality. And this impacts you as the customer of anything that's manufactured, as well as you, the manufacturers who need to be aware of what is going on in the world. And I hope you are. Sure you are. Uh, shout out to uh, Judy Cubis, from, who is the sponsor of this series. Shout out to Aswin Manapali. And also, we have to do a shout out to our special guest who is not on camera with us. For those of you in the room, Deborah Petrara, who works at ABI Research with Ryan, with Ryan Martin. Deborah has been very helpful in getting Ryan on the show. So thank you, Deborah. Now is the day, thumbs up. Now is the time of the show where I have asked my guests in advance to send me a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of the show and the quote from a famous person, a movie, a book, a song, and they have come through. So I'm going to read a little bit of the background of the source, the attribution, as I call it, of the quote, and then the quote, and they're going to tell me how in the world they picked the quote and what are those little breadcrumbs that link the quote to the topic. So Ryan Martin at ABI Research has picked a quote from Mark Twain. I'll give a little background. Mark Twain, full name, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, 1835 to 1910, known as Mark Twain, prolific American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was called the greatest humorist the United States has ever produced. And in case you're saying, 
If you're very young, you're saying, gee, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, he wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer in 1876, and it's still read today. And the sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, often called The Great American Novel. So if you ever write too much on something, somebody, would you write a paragraph and you write it? They said, what do you do? Write The Great American Novel? That came from the idea of Mark Twain. And I will tell you that Mark Twain was born shortly after the appearance of Halley's Comet, he predicted he would go out with the comet. Ryan, I don't know if you know this. And the day after the comet made its closest approach to Earth was the day that Mark Twain died. Interesting. Talk about predictions. Well, here's the wow. quote. Here's the quote Ryan has selected from Mark Twain. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Ryan Martin, what does this have to do with manufacturing customer-centric? Go ahead. Wow. Yeah, you definitely got me with some new, new info in the background there. The, the only constant, I mean, aside from maybe the golden ratio, is change. And what that quote speaks to, I think, is the trying times we are in. Um, you really couldn't expect COVID-19, couldn't expect the current social and economic climate. But those who are doing well have been those most resilient and willing and able to respond. So a couple examples here. Um, think about Ford and GE Healthcare. Um, at the start of the year, certainly Ford was not planning to produce ventilators. Now they're producing 50,000 ventilators in less than 100 days. Just for perspective, the annual production capacity for ventilators in the United States is 30,000 for mm -hmm. over the course of an entire year. And Ford is going to do that in 50,000 or 50,000 units in 100 days. No experience producing ventilators. Uh, GM and Bentec, 10,000 ventilators uh, per month. Dyson, 15,000. In, ten, in just 10 days. And by the way, the UK previously had just about 8,000 ventilators available to a population of 60 million. Um, Honda's producing face shields, distilleries in the United States and England are producing hand sanitizer. All of these things were not expected on Jan 1, but they are happening today and they're happening in real response to a customer. These are just a couple of examples of the tough getting going when the going gets tough. Also examples of companies that were positioned to be flexible fluid, agile, be able to reimagine using their facilities, Ryan Wright, in what can we do now to meet a need that we weren't doing before that we never thought about, never imagined, able to marshal the forces of their people, their processes, their automation, and say, we can pivot, we can deliver, and we can put out a quality product that is needed by the world at this time. Great examples. I know there were distilleries here across the U.S. that said, wait a minute, we're not producing bourbon right now because the bars are closed, but why not use the alcohol and hand sanitizers? And the next thing you know, that's the business they're in. Just a quick question, Ryan. Do you think that the, the big companies you mentioned are able to do that because they had already embraced the big word, digitalization, and they had already done their digital transformation journey or most of it that let them be ready to be agile. What's your thought on that? Yeah, the short answer is yes. Um, companies that embrace digital up to this point have clearly been able to respond and adjust faster than their peers. I'd also say that companies that hadn't yet embraced digital or have started to look at it now have a greater propensity to embrace. Um, and there, there are certainly key, a few handful of technologies that are rising to the top as a result of this. But by and large, digitalization is here to stay. 
Agree. Thank you very much for your commentary. Great quote. We haven't heard that one from Mark Twain in a while. Mark Twain, what would he say if he knew he was on a radio show with no wires that people all over the world could hear sitting on a beach in an office at a desk in their kitchen on something, a machine called a computer. And you and I and Gustavo are able to actually watch each other talking on something called Zoom. Mark Twain would say, Wish I were alive right now. I bet you. I bet you. And he would write another great American novel about it. I know. And you would both be characters in the novel. Maybe me too. Okay, let's move to Gustavo. Gustavo has picked a quote from George Harrison. I think this is time to welcome the late, great George Harrison to the show. I don't think we've ever had a quote from him before, Gustavo. And George Harrison, I think everybody knows him. But just in case, 1943 to 2001, English musician, singer, songwriter, music and film producer. He was the lead guitarist of the Beatles. Why did I bury the lead on that? He was called the Quiet Beatle. He embraced Indian culture and broadened the scope of popular music by incorporating Indian instrumentation and Hindu-aligned spirituality into the Beatles' work. While most of you may think John Lennon and Paul McCartney were the duo who wrote all the Beatles songs, not quite. Most of the Beatles' albums after 1965 contained at least two George Harrison compositions, and you may be surprised at what he wrote. Taxman, Taxman, we all know that one, Within You, Without You. How about While My Guitar Gently Weeps? What a gorgeous song. Here Comes the Sun and Something. I get chills just reading the titles of these because I love them. I'm actually learning the drum parts for some of these with my drum teacher now. What can I tell you? Here's the quote from George Harrison, Gustavo Milan has selected. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Gustavo, please tell us how you pick this. Yeah, I, I, I like this quote because uh, basically it reminds us that in business, I think, and in our personal life, we need to have a clear goal uh, to reach our destination, right? And I think in business in particular, um, you know, those guiding principles that help companies grow through their business cycle, irrespective of any changes in the strategy and irrespective of what path each company chooses to take, uh, definitely has an impact. So as companies uh, need to put the customer at the core of their guiding principles, I think that that becomes important. They have to listen to their customers. Uh, and I believe it's the same thing as looking for road signs you know, along the way when you're deciding, well, how do I get to my destinations? I have so many options. But as long as I'm listening to my customers, uh, I always kind of do the parallel. It's like looking for, for, for roads along looking for signs along the road because that's basically is going to take companies where they need to be and where they want to be. So that's the reason I, I pick up that, that, that quote. I think it fits pretty cool with the topic that we're going to talking about today. I think it fits well. And we love yeah. musician quotes and famous author so quotes as well. So thank you both. You really, really did your homework on this. I appreciate that. Lovely, lovely. And, and we miss George Harrison. I, I miss the Beatles. I grew up during Beatlemania. I was a teenager. I won't tell you exactly the year, but I had friends in my high school class who claimed they had snuck into the hotel. The, the Beatles were staying at the Warwick Hotel in Manhattan. Deborah may remember this story. I don't know if she's old enough. I am. And uh, they apparently stayed 
stuck into a laundry cart that was wheeled into the Beatles suite and saw them. I don't know. We used to have movies of the Beatles that were shown, concert movies were shown in theaters on Long Island, New York, where you could go and see them on stage in a concert that happened a, a few weeks ago or months ago in, in Europe. And we could actually go and sit in a, in a movie theater and see them on a big screen, which was now talking in this age where everything is streaming and instantaneous, it seems like the dark ages. It was. Yeah. What can I tell you? Okay. And then the magazines, who is Paul McCartney dating and blah, blah, blah. It was it was just heartthrob era. We, we love the Beatles. Thank you so much. This is a part of the show. I am getting to the serious stuff, kids. Don't worry. Part of the show where we talk about my panelists have sent me discussion statements that are going to form our roundtable discussion about the topic. We've already heard what Ryan Martin at ABI Research and Gustavo Milan at SAP think in a broad sense about our topic today. Now we're going to dive in a little deeper. So I'll read the first statement from Ryan Martin a little bit, and then I'll ask him to expand it. As they say on the news, Ryan, please unpack this. He'll talk for about two and a half minutes, and then I will ask Gustavo for his response, agree or disagree, whatever you think about that, Gustavo. And then I'll pick a statement from Gustavo, read that. He will unpack that, and then we'll get a response from Ryan. And at any time, gentlemen, you can say, wait a minute, I want to say something else and just now that I can see you, raise your hand, and it's really cool beans. Okay, so here we go. Ryan Martin told me the following before the show. He said, Chinese manufacturing production is down 38.9% year over year for the first three months of 2020, and the U.S. is experiencing its largest monthly decline in industrial production since 1946, reference to federalreserve.gov. Ryan, I'm going to stop there. Tell us what the importance of this is to our conversation today, please. Yeah, we're in an unfamiliar spot uh, and a bit of a pickle, I would say, and we need to get out. And a lot of people are asking, what does this look like? Uh, what is a recovery? I think there are four main scenarios, some more likely than others. Um, probably the least likely of them would be to take what we were originally expecting for this year and pushing it out by 60 to 90 days. Um, that's just not going to happen because of uh, certain market developments, the practicality of standards groups getting together. 5G is a good example. They were originally, the 3GPP, which organizes 5G standards, was supposed to meet in March. That meeting was moved to June. Uh, it could be could be pushed back even further. And then there's, of course, the, the carry-on with that, or what, what follows it. So there's standards for infrastructure. There's also device ecosystem and all these other things that need to come together for uh, innovation really to occur. So just pushing out the previous scenario, I don't think is going to happen. Um, a V-shaped recovery in terms of it just dropping, plummeting. You know, we closed businesses, stopped manufacturing for a period. That would represent the big dip. Will it skyrocket and spike right back up? I don't think so. Um, the reason is because economies are going to institute phased reopening. Um, it's going to happen at the local level, whether it be industry, city, municipality, or otherwise. It's going to start local. And that, that's just the way this is going to happen. Um, U-shape sort of alludes to that. Um, it's a little bit more likely uh, and does speak to the phased approach. But by and large, I think it's going to be more of a step function. So think of an S, an S type um, recovery. And that, again, is because of the phases. And it's not just related to COVID-19, but in fact, other things. So supply chain inter interdependencies, um, unexpected civil unrest, for example, as a result of greater tensions and pressures put on people over the last 60 to 90 days. 
uh, poten potential for resurgence in the fall. Um, there, there's a lot of unknowns moving forward, but the theme is shoring up resilience, um, improving flexibility and agility, and identifying the key technologies and pillars to get there. And I think that S step function recovery is going to certainly be seen this year, but if anything, will accelerate the adoption of digital transformation and enabling technologies in 2021 and 2022. Good prediction there. We're not even at the end of the show yet. Thank you very much. We'll save our <laughs> crystal ball predictions. You got to come up with a new one. Gustavo Milan at SAP. Love to get your thoughts on what Ryan Martin just shared. What do you think? No, I, I, I agree with Ryan. Um, I think that number one is, is there's a lot of uncertainty on how that recovery is going to look like. But the one thing that I will add to this is that I would say until recently, the most of the companies were building just like large factories, right? They were specializing those factories by product with the idea that making a lot of one product, then stockpiling the product and then selling it by demand was a good business model. But we all know today that that's a very rigid uh, model for you know today's market dynamics. And more than any time today uh, with this situation, the companies have to think about different about their supply chain. You know, you Ryan, you were talking about initially about the importance of having you know manufacturing companies closer to where products are to be delivered. Uh, and this is of course going to change completely that. That's gonna change, you know, how much uh, uh, interactions we have with China, how that market is gonna come back again, how demand is gonna look in the future. It is going to be a completely different thing. And I believe that. Uh, what's behind all that is the fact that customers are not uh, going to start buying products as they used to. They're expecting to buy solutions, uh, and they're going to have they're going to do they're going to make a better judgment, and they're going to learn more about because before they make the decision. So that's going to change a little bit how how demand looks like, how supply chains are going to move around. Uh, I think that's my my opinion in regards to that. So Thank you, Gustavo. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, good good points there. Ryan, anything you want to say back to Gustavo before I move on? Ryan I think is we're thinking. good at this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I used to, if, if we were just on the radio, I would have said, well, there's a little dead air there. I don't know if you are. And I would have jumped in, but I'm watching you now. I'm watching you thinking out loud. <laughs> it's really cool for our listeners. We are doing this show via Zoom, and I'm able to see my wonderful panelists and watch them think. And this is a whole new experience. So if you hear a pause, it's because we're watching them. I, I wish you could too. So I'm going to move on to Gustavo. Gustavo, I'm going to combine your statements number one and two. I think they go together very nicely and ask you to comment. We've covered a little bit of this before, but I want to give you a, the opportunity to speak to these because it, it talks about a different type of a change that I think we've addressed so far. You say the digital age for industrial manufacturers has accelerated recently due to a shift in customer expectations, customer expectations in the digital economy. And then you say customers are no longer content to be merely recipients of goods and services. They have become embedded in the business model itself. Gustavo, tell us more. Very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that's, that statement is basically what I believe around that is that today making excellent products is no longer good enough. You know, today we talk about products and services. And as I said before, they became commoditized. So customers today, they are demanding outcomes. And for that reason, I think that manufacturers, they have to work closer with their customers from early 
discovery through product design and all the way to services and beyond. And that's the way that they will be able to uh, position the customer point of view at the center of every decision that they make. So again, it's, it's about outcomes, it's about uh, experiences that customers have, and getting a little bit more about consumerization of the, of the, of the industry. And I believe that this situation uh, will then be extended to include you know, things like real-time view of the customers and how the customers interact with their products. Uh, I think that uh, co companies in the manufacturing industries need to see how uh, customers that bought their products uh, you know, use them in real-time data showing you know, how products are performing and what conditions these products are. So that's very important. And that's why I think that, you know, just buying goods and services is not just what they're expecting. And I believe that for that, manufacturers need to embrace uh, experience at all levels. Uh, and that becomes key here. Because it could be anything from breaking down silo processes internally to that could be preventing the company to have a great experience to their customers, to including data, you know, data from customers, uh, being aware of customers' opinions, being aware of the customer feedback, and anticipating, you know, what, what are the customer issues, and at the end of the day is integrating the customer uh, sentiment throughout the entire value cycle. So I think at the end, the manufacturers that are kind of leading in the market today are those who are adopting technologies to deliver, you know, a differentiated value uh, through products and through services. Uh, that's my my thoughts on, on that statement. Thank you. Ryan Martin, yep. share with us. I want to underscore the importance of outcome-based thinking. Um, a common example in um, sort of layman's terms would be gasoline. You know, it's a product that we, sure, sure we pay for the product, but we're really paying for the ability to travel. You don't get a lot of benefit mm -hmm. from actual fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, the same tenants are starting to transfer into the world of industrial manufacturing mm -hmm. in terms of interest and desire, but there's been a missing piece. And that's been the ability to actually monitor and control and get to value-based outcomes. So for a long time, we bill based on time or based on uh, a physical asset. So uh, think about bearings or cranes or robots. Uh, it turns out that more than 50% of all bearing failures happen because of poor lubrication. Um, and 80% of bearings in the world do not reach their intended useful life. So this is why companies like SKF, rather than sell bearings, they want to sell rotations in motion. Cone Cranes wants to sell weightlifting rather than cranes. Toyota Material Handling wants to sell capacity commitments rather than robots themselves. What we're also finding is uh, some competition from unfamiliar bedfellows. So BMW, company with now some serious chops when it comes to autonomous manufacturing, also autonomous vehicle production, those autonomous vehicles could very well be robots. So what they did is they were developing what they call an STR, smart transport robot, internally to automate their operations. And as they were doing that, they found through some of their partners that there's actually interest from the market to serve this and actually create it and, and sell it um, externally. So that's what they're now working on. And the more companies um, think about their customer and what their customer, uh, what drives them, what makes them tick, and the, the closer they can get to value-based outcome-oriented thinking, 
the better served their business models will be for that customer. Thank you both. I'm going to veer away from the statements, the formal statements you both sent me and go back to two sentences in my opening. One is from the dorngroup.com quote in the beginning. I want to focus on this for a minute because I think it's important for, for all of us to talk about this plus our listeners. The quote said, you, meaning manufacturers, will need to navigate this transition carefully to avoid alienating your distributor network. Is this a flashpoint? Is this a danger point? Is this a red flag? If you're saying I'm a manufacturer of XYZ, and as Ryan just said, I'm no longer making robots, I'm making uh, automated production lines, I'm, ser- I'm servicing automated production lines through the manufacturing of my robots. So what is the outcome of whatever the good or services I'm providing? Where does the distributor network come in and why would they say, wait a minute, that's my job to figure out what the customer wants. It's my job to figure out the sentiment and predict the demand because I'm the middle person. I'm distributing what you're creating. Ryan, you want to tackle this first and then Gustavo, please? Yeah, I would say the role of the distributor becomes much more consultative and the relationship and understanding of the business is that much more important. Um, we've known for a long time, like a great a great product manager survives on fee, on uh, market on the recommendations of market needs, not feature development. And the same is true with an integrator or partner or distributor. You really survive based on understanding the needs of your customer, not and and matching those with your capabilities. Okay, interesting. So it's the distributor's job, you're saying it's their role to be the consultant, the consultative role to say, this is what we see as the intention of the end customer. This is what we predict as the need for more demand or less demand. Is that what you're saying? So I would say, yes, that's their role. However, there is challenge to educate and inform that cohort in this climate. And that's because we aren't having in-person events, um, both large and small. I mean, the, the smaller customer events are actually some of the most purposeful because that's where you get the education training. You get up to speed on what's changing, what will change, how to work with your customers, what matters, what doesn't. Those forums are taking an entirely different format. And what availability and accessibility isn't the issue. It's ability to actually tune in, take in, and act upon that information. Gustavo, join us, please. Yeah, um, I think that it's, it's a complex, uh, uh, I think, topic here because the one thing that I see is critical is that distributors own the customer information, and that's gold today. Uh, and traditionally, manufacturing companies, OEMs, they rely 100% on the, on the distribution uh, you know, network to get their products to the customers. So that's the one thing that distributors have. They have the customer information that's gold today. But at the same time, I believe that both sides, distributors and manufacturers, have come to realize that this is an outcome-based economy and we have to be able to deliver experience to customers. We have to work together. Uh, the way that the business is changing, at least in manufacturing, we're talking more about uh, how much of the revenue is going to come from services. And usually services are delivered by dealers, by distributors, but those kind of companies, because the OEM, I mean, that's not their core business. They have to focus on what they know and they know how to do better. So I think it's a combination of, you know, a relationship that has to become, become stronger. They have to be able to seamlessly share information about customers, 
the OEM has to be able to share all the information about the products. Um, when we talk about IoT, when we talk about uh, digital twins, and when we talk about being able to deliver uh, customer experience, not only from early stages, from product design, all the way to, to aftermarket services, that includes the entire value chain and the distributor is, of course, part of them. So these days, for example, I'm talking to companies that have distributors that are companies that are in the $2 billion um, that all they do is do distribution. And we have calls with those distributors to talk about how the OEM, what kind of technology they use and how can they integrate their technology, their software, so that both companies can have a seamless uh, business process so that they can serve the customers better. Because regardless of what happens, customers will only be looking at the product. I mean, they, will don't, they won't differentiate who's the dealer, who is the distributor, and who is the OEM. So there is clearly, uh, 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 for both companies, it's clearly important to, to work together. So I think that's kind of what I think about. But it's, it's, of course, the marketplace is different. That's going to change. Uh, I think those are the points that I want to make. Thank you, Gustavo. Great insights. And Ryan is just itching to talk. Stop <laughs> that itch. Go ahead. Talk to I, us. I, I just want to amplify the, the role of service. But additionally, I think also the support function is critical. Um, why distributors should be a little um, cautious or just aware of what's going on. We're in the middle of, and, and it's hard to see because we're in the middle of it, but if you take a big step back, what's happening right now is what I call the software defined manufacturing movement. Any function that can be virtualized or can be achieved through software will. And what that means is the relationship changes. So the, the role of distributor, of course, consultative in terms of integration, identifying what is the key, over time, it's going to become really a support function because if the company or the, or the product that you previously sold as, on a perpetual basis then evolves into a subscription model where instead of paying 100% of that license fee to the distributor or say 50% or 80%, you're actually only getting about 20% of that and most of the fee is going to the provider then you're actually getting a greater share of your revenue through support services. So I think the role of the distributor changes and there's actually, um, you know, potential certainly for disintermediation, but also to move up the value chain in terms of providing additional uh, support over time. Thank you, Gustavo. Anything you want to say back before I move on? Your thoughts? Uh, I would probably add to this um, topic in regards, because we're talking about outcomes uh, again. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that, especially when we talk about the concept of pay for usage uh, or uh, things of that nature, I think the manufacturer usually has to be able to measure risk. They don't know exactly how this is going to look in the long term. Mm -hmm. And as, as you, Ryan, you're saying, you know, who's going to provide the support, who's going to deliver the services, they have to incorporate that because at the end, they're, they're, they're pricing out the solution, you know, not only the product, but the services and everything. That is something that is kind of new to the, to the manufacturing industry. And that's where the, 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 the distributor has to come into play because they need to know, you know, how much is this going to cost uh, when they deliver these services or this uh, support, you know, three years from now. Uh, and I think that's the other piece I want to add there. The shared risk between the two of them will change dynamics of the relationships and will, of course, uh, define a little different role 
that the distributor will be playing in the future. Interesting addition of risk. Ryan, anything you want to comment on that? Oh, man. In addition to risk, I, I had something, but it's escaping me now. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm going to move on. I want to talk about some, some technology innovations. I think this will be an interesting next part of our conversation. We've got, oh, we've got about 16 minutes left, and that includes our crystal ball prediction. So we've got enough time left for more. So here is what you said in your notes to me, Ryan Martin at ABI Research. You said key innovations being fast-tracked include everything that touches digital and distributed manufacturing. And you're talking about advanced wireless sensor networks, that's IoT or IIoT, remote monitoring, analytics, digital twins. We always love to talk about digital twins. I always think of a movie. There should be a movie called the digital twins. I don't know. Cloud, augmented reality, virtual reality, AR and VR, familiarly known as cloud-based collaborative computer-aided design. That used to be called CAD and PTC on shape, whatever that is. Talk to me a little bit about our manufacturers uh, enthusiastically embracing all of these technologies. Is this breaking news? The, the terms I just mentioned, Ryan Martin, are people say, what's that? We better call our IT guy and say, we better get that. Talk to me. In a lot of cases, yes. I mean, now these, <laughs> what, what were nice to have are really critical and they're need to have. Um, cloud is certainly one of them. Uh, remote monitoring. So if you have fewer, fewer people in a factory or even just need to have remote visibility into, into your assets. I mean, what I started talking about early was all the digitalization and supply chain. What's happening now is digitalization in the production chain. So connecting... Um, not just lines, but work cells, and then work cells or plants to other plants in a plant network. And that level of synchronicity can only be achieved once you start with low-level connectivity. And these are things like advanced sensor networks. It's remote monitoring. But after you do achieve these milestones, then you can get to more advanced capabilities. So um, there are two worlds in terms of industrial IoT. It's monitoring and control. So you start with monitoring, and that's where you get your uh, your newer take advantage of newer metrics like OEE, overall equipment effectiveness. It's something where you can only uh, achieve if you have true asset and item level visibility. It means the ability to provision uh, capacity based on need. Um, we're also seeing greater push into the user interface for these things. That would be augmented reality, which is, doesn't just require smart glasses. You can do it on a tablet. Um, you can also have it on a fixed PC and use it for instructions, for training. So to get mm -hmm. people in and up to speed sooner. And these may not necessarily be um, like low, low skill professionals. They could be highly skilled professionals who've been doing something for a very long time, but maybe you have a new product rollout and you want to have that product rollout happen in four weeks instead of eight. This would be one of the tools that allow you to do that faster. Um, and more effectively. So there's all kinds of kinds of tools that were originally viewed as, hey, wouldn't this be cool? Or I see where this is going. And now they say, wow, we actually need to be able to collaborate. And that just speaks to the, the PTC Onshape acquisition. So PTC spent um, six to 10 years acquiring about just over $700 million worth of companies. Within the last 12 months, they spent $470 million on this startup called Onshape. And the significance of this, the reason they did it is because it's going to bring to them a product suite that um, they have Creo, which is their CAD product. And it basically will, the idea is to have this go into the cloud and be collaborative. So the same experience that um, those of you who've grown up with the Google app suite would envision 
translate that to manufacturing. So you can do have multiple people working on the same CAD file, the same product design and distributed in different places. And yes, it's functionally, functionally really efficient. It's also uh, brings the capital expense way down because you don't need a high horsepower compute if you're doing all that processing in the cloud. So there are all these benefits that companies say, oh, we actually really need this. Oh, and you can do this too. Oh, and it does this. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No kidding. It's really a no brainer. Thank you very much. Very exciting. It, do we dare say that these new technologies or these, shall we say, um, emerging technologies that have been around for a while, but emerging to some manufacturers who are not on board that, that train yet, Ryan, shall we say that they add excitement to what could have been a dismal year for manufacturers? Wow, look at what we can do next. What do you think? Oh, big time. I mean, the companies that are delivering these solutions are actually expecting double-digit growth, top-line growth um, in 2020, which is uh, incredible. I mean, you see it too in, in their reporting. The companies that have switched from perpetual licenses to a subscription or SaaS model are doing better. They're weathering the storm and surviving. Um, SaaSification and collaborative work style type solutions, um, and especially, especially SaaS, uh, also make these this echelon of products more approachable to SMBs, which is a really key part of the market in terms of number of participants and players and um, potential to really get into the digital age. They need access to these tools and doing it in a low CapEx, um, value-based, margin-focused manner is very well served. Um, one thing I should have said very early about the, re about the reason manufacturing is so attractive as an industry, it's because it's large. It's one of the largest industries in the world, um, probably next to healthcare. It's very well understood. And most importantly, this is what sets it apart from healthcare. It has slim margins. Those three things together, large, well understood, slim margins, very, very attractive profile for advanced technology adoption. COVID-19, what we're seeing right now in 2020 is only going to accelerate the importance and relevance of those tenants and driving through that adoption. Thank you. Gustavo, I know you want to jump in here. Talk to us. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think this is very tied to the industry 4.0 concept, you know, like smart mm -hmm. factories, automated manufacturing, using IoT, uh, or even using predictive, te predictive technologies to, to make those uh, automated decisions based on, on data coming from sensors and applying that, that data that's coming not only from the machinery that's in your manufacturing plan, but also from the data coming from your customers. Um, you know, leveraging IoT to provide things like asset management, you were talking about that before, Ryan, or being able to use the little twin to, you know, predict equipment downtime or even asset failure predictions that is so important in the, in the, in the economy today. Uh, especially after this crisis, companies are making uh, much diligent work in regards to do we invest in, in equipment that is extremely expensive? Uh, do we wanna pay for, for usage or do we wanna invest, make a capital investment in this? But the one thing that companies in manufacturing industry are doing with IoT is definitely giving the customer a better experience because we can anticipate when the product is going to fail, it's going to pre present failures. We can anticipate maintenance. Think about a turbine, a wind turbine in the middle of the ocean that is, you know, stopped working for whatever reason. If we have the ability to predict when it happens, absolutely is going to take uh, the downtime cost you know, to a minimum. And that's where I see IoT and Industry 4.0 
playing a big role in how uh, manufacturing is shifting, uh, number one, as a result of the, of the pandemic, but also as a need from customers expecting products and services and solutions, and not just being a one-time relationship, but more than anything is how do we come have that long-term relationship and how do we both benefit from technology? So I don't think, I think there is just a handful of technology limitations that will, you know, prevent companies from being creative and building efficiencies needed for, you know, executing all, all these digital capabilities that the manufacturing industry needs right now. Thank um, so you, Gustavo. I have a question for you, Gustavo. With companies not producing for a while, I know uh, OESA does a show with me called Automotive Insiders. And about a month ago, they said that at that point in time, it was mid-March, I guess, early early May, the U.S. auto manufacturers hadn't produced a single car in 46 days. And you can do the math backwards. I, I have my dates wrong, but you can figure it out. So the question is, as they reopen and restart, isn't what you said, Gustavo, even more important to check out the, the readiness of equipment that might have been turned off, might have been shut down, maybe wasn't in a full state of running, which it might have needed to be ready to run even more. I'm, I'm punting here, but help me yeah. out here. Isn't it important to know what do you have to do to get things back up and running in anticipation of business, quote unquote, as usual, as unusual, actually? Any thoughts on that, Gustavo? I think definitely that's, that's a good point, Bonnie, because uh, we're not talking about a compressor, an air compressor. We're not talking about a power generator that can turn off and on, you know, whenever you want. We're talking about big machinery that's been sitting there for days. Yep. Uh, definitely information coming from IoT is definitely going to make a difference. It's going to allow companies to, you know, be able to predict. And, and again, we go back to the digital twin example. How can we tell exactly what's going to happen? What is going to, how is that process going to look like to restart that equipment? Imagine when you buy a huge piece of equipment, it requires technicians and engineers to come over to put all those things together. And it usually, it doesn't take a, a few days to do that. It takes a lot of engineering to put together and to assemble that thing. If we think about how much it's going to take, what's the effort to come again and, and restart the equipment after being sitting there for so many days, definitely having information coming from IoT, from sensors, will, will give more insights to, the, to, to both the, the customer and the manufacturer to be in that sense, uh, do the best they can. So yeah, it's a great point there. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I'm listening to both of you. You're so yeah. smart and so engaged in this topic, and I'm trying to learn and anticipate what might be on the minds of, of our listeners out there. This is the part of the show. We have six minutes left because there are two of you. I didn't say only two of you. I didn't say just two of you because there are two of you. I can give you a little more time for your crystal ball predictions, usually 60 seconds. And Ryan, just so you know, when I tell people a 60-second prediction, they typically give me between 90 seconds and five minutes which means Gustavo wouldn't get any time at all. So let's play fair, gentlemen. So Ryan Martin at ABI Research, uh, why don't you take 90 seconds? I'm not going to clock you, but I turned on the clock on Zoom so I can actually see the seconds being counted here. 90 seconds for you, then 90 seconds for Gustavo. And if we have more time, we'll just open it up to either one of you. I do need to do some thank yous at the end. 
Ryan Martin, prediction, six, 90 seconds, go. I don't want to take prediction. that back. So prediction. With, I, I've been told that history often repeats itself. And I don't know if that's 100% true, but if we look at what happened in the product world some time ago, uh, the way that we developed new product originally was you build something, you stress it, test it, break it, build it better. Um, then it came time to send people to space. And we figured out you really don't want to mess that up the first time. So this is where CAD came from. Um, where we are now in terms of manufacturing is that the margin for error is even slimmer than it ever has been. Most manufacturers have lost 60 to 90 days of productivity, if not more. Your output is incredibly important. And to protect your past investments, I think we're going to see additional uplift in things like simulation software, definitely as a service type models, and the broader shift to software and value-based billing and outcomes. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Plenty of time for you, Gustavo. No pressure, but you get a little more time for your prediction. Actually, you can have a little more than 90 seconds. Go ahead, Gustavo. All right. So I think that we were, um, as, as we were talking today, uh, the shift in mass customization, uh, which again, it ties back to the segment of one and how manufacturers are able to capture all the customer requirements and then be able to give every customer exactly what they need. My prediction is we will be in a world where we can buy the product that we want with the functionality that we need, with the design that we prefer, with the same lead time and the same price as a mass produced option. That's going to be reality in the future in manufacturing. Very customer centric, very, very kind of the segment of one. So what I think is that companies that are the early adopters of that digital transformation, those are the ones that are in great place uh, to be successful. Uh, they have to put a lot of emphasis in new business models, definitely. They need to focus on the customer experience. And I think those are the, the ones that are going to be successful in the market that they are. And more than anything, they will be able to take and turn the current challenges into opportunities in the next, you know, five years, I would say, no more than that. Thank you both. I'm thinking I'm trying to buy a computer that will remain nameless, that you both know what it is, and I have to wait one month, and I'm in dire need, and I'm willing to spend a lot of money on it, and I was told that nothing is available within 250 miles of my, my part of North Carolina, and it will be a month to order online, and I want to know why, why. Talk about customer-centric and meeting the needs, and I know it involves supply chain and all kinds of trade issues and, and uh, tariffs and and productions and all of that. But customer centricity, I wish it would extend to those of us who just need a computer. Ryan Martin at ABI Research, it has been such a joy getting to know you and having you share your, your deep expertise on this topic. You're so articulate and savvy, and it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Gustavo Milan, exactly the same. I'm so thrilled to meet you. You're one of the few people at SAP I haven't met before on these radio shows. And thank I have you. to do a thank you. Uh, smart and savvy, and, and you both were willing to be so flexible. Talk about fluidity and agility in and talking with each other and with me and, and shifting the conversation as appropriate, as needed. And, and I appreciate both of you being here very, very much. Appreciation also to Deborah Petrara. Deborah, she's watching and listening. Deborah, super conversation. So happy to meet you through Ryan Martin at ABI Research. And Aswin Manapali is also listening and watching us here on Zoom. Aswin, this was a great panel. Judy Cubis is also a sponsor of this series. And of course, I have to do a shout out to Aaron Keller 
He's all better now and sounds like himself. He's our engineer. You don't hear him on the air, but we hear him before and after the show. Aaron Keller, engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio, a.k.a. Voice America. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You all know what it is, and I will make a little joke, as I always do. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting three months to the gallon. How's your car doing? Go out and be a game changer. <laughs> Laugh, Ryan. Gustavo left three months to the gallon. You know what that means. We're not going anywhere. I even got a rebate check from my auto insurance. They sent me a $75 check because nobody's driving anywhere. Thank you. So anyway, go out and be a game changer today. Just like Ryan Martin at ABI Research and just like Gustavo Milan at SAP. Signing off. Have a great day. Be safe. Be smart. Be kind. Ooh, and be well. We'll talk to you again soon. Signing off for Game Changers Radio. This is Bonnie. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.